This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. the dead and husky warming house podcast fans it is episode number 78 in a jam-packed show for you this week a little bit shorter of a weekly roundup here noah uh, but some news we will talk about some women's hockey scheduling updates we'll also talk about the kareel kaprizov countdown apparently that's on again and we're still yet here recording on september 11th here on saturday still no contract signed between the prize russian ford and the minnesota wild we'll also talk about a hockey moment noah yours and mine that still aggravates us um, when somebody brings it up. And then our extra ice session, if you stick around a little bit later, we will talk about our predictions to what the Huskies lineup card might look like. So some player movements who maybe jumps into the roster that maybe uh, wasn't in there and maybe some guys that might lose a spot here in Noah. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll talk about all that and more, but first, as always, we will talk and get started on our center ice view news and notes and our Huskies illustrated weekly roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Starting up things in the center ice, few news and notes in the Huskies Illustrator Weekly Roundup. Uh, you know, kind of quiet this week, uh, but a couple of, uh, you know, some noteworthy uh, items to discuss. First, we'll start in South Florida. Yeah, South Florida. We're talking hockey, right? Uh, Florida Panthers, though, coming off of a pretty impressive campaign last uh, season, Noah, and they're apparently trying to keep that momentum going. Um, they're the NHL's first franchise to offer endorsements to college athletes, uh, and other major sports franchise uh, has matched their latest moves. So uh, Panthers are seeking a female athlete from Florida Atlantic University uh, to be the next college student they signed to an endorsement deal. Uh, unable to choose one, they're making uh, more than, I guess, 200 offers to try to you know get like keep that namesake going uh the initial team said just past wednesday just a couple of days ago that they will sign any interested and eligible fau female athlete to a deal under the new rules that allow college players to capitalize on their namesakes image and likeness for endorsement opportunities noah the fiu athletes will also be invited to attend pather games and, ex- and engage in their social media followers uh receiving some team merchandise also in return um i will tell you this is someone paid me to pay for my tickets to go to a game and just wear merch for free. I don't know how you can turn that down. And for the Florida Panthers, Noah, as you and I both know this and predictably, so this is going to be a pretty fun team to watch this uh, year coming up too. Yeah, they have an exciting 
future and exciting outlook this group, this Florida Panthers group does. But I got to be honest, going back, can we get paid for something? <laughs> is, that, <Right. laughs> is that possible? I mean, I'll, I'll take free, free beverages, whatever <laughs> case. I mean, whichever Maybe, way you want to slice it. I say you find Mr. Maxson at the local watering hole on Friday night. Yeah. You, can, you can, you can repay him kindly. Uh, yes. we're, actually, we're actually into a very short uh, season illustrated weekly roundup. Um, I'm actually the last topics of the day already here. Um, we're going to move to some league wide news. Uh, we did have a handful of transactions in the NHL to note uh, in Ottawa general manager, Pierre Dorian, he was given an extension through the spring of 2025. He's got an, also an extra team friendly option that he can extend for another year. Um, he's only overseen one winning season though. Remember that 2016, 17 uh, conference cup final double OT run where Chris Kunitz ended it, ended that pretty quickly. They could have won a Stanley cup potentially with their boringly defensive style of play that year that frustrated so many fan bases. Oh, like so Montreal this season. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Why is it always the Canadian teams that have controversy? Um, oh, yeah, that's right. It's makes Canada. it fun. It's Canada. <laughs> it's no cheese curds on poutine, apparently. Apparently, that's like, you know, a religious, you know, just knife through the back of Mark Andre Fleury. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, pass the pierog- pass the pierogies and maple syrup. Anyway, uh, Dorian, uh, of course, trying to rebuild that center's pipeline. They are saying technically they they say that the rebuild is over and they're going to get back to some winning ways. I don't know where those winning ways ever happened besides maybe 2007. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Dorian himself, uh, as a player uh, or as a GM, I should say, ranks third in team history for wins by a general manager of the Sens with 149. He trails John Muckler and Brian Murray in that organization. First, take that Pierre McGuire. And two, um, it is not, uh, that's not an easy organization underneath the ownership of Eugene Melnick to make yeah. that a winning team. But just like the Florida Panthers, who I think are more of a contender than uh, the centers, centers are going to be actually a, a fun young team to watch, I think. I'm not sure what their win-loss record may look like, but I think at least as far as entertainment value, Noah, that team with guys like Tim Stutzla, especially one of the rookie fans from last year, uh, their biggest question mark is definitely in nets uh, with yep. Matt Murray over gate return reform, but up front, they have some pretty good, uh, some players to watch in the, in the back end, Thomas Shabbat, um, also one of my favorite defense in the watch is for how good he skates and how well that he can go up and down the ice, both in the offense and defensive zone. Yeah, I'd say when you when you get a goaltender like Matt Murray and Philip Gustafson is a potential candidate to be a starter on that team, the way Murray has played, eh, you got a question mark on the back end. Yeah, a question. That's yeah. all right. But I guess we'll see. Speaking of question marks uh, out east as well, and injury news, Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby, he's going to be out for at least six weeks with a wrist with wrist surgery. And Carolina's Jake Gardner, he's going to be out for the year, long-term injured reserve, uh, back and hip surgery for him. Uh, kind of tough for a guy that uh, his career has been up and down, uh, probably well-known for throwing out a couple pizzas to the other team in Game 7 for Toronto a couple years ago. And uh, there's a guy that you would maybe try to – try to hopefully see if he can get back on the high horse. If I'm not mistaken, is he not? Uh, he played at Wisconsin, did he not? I believe so, yeah. Does that sound right? Speaking that of, sounds right. Speaking of college players, we do have uh, another bit of news related to the old WCHFU. It, Old WCHA, if I can spit my words out here, former Mankato Maverick, uh, David Backus. He also signed a one-day contract with St. Louis and has now officially retired as a St. Louis Blue and hung up his skates. 37 years old, 15-plus seasons in the National Hockey League, 561 points in just under 1,000 NHL games. Uh, He was a draft pick in 2003. He's also got a couple of silver medals with Team USA 2010-2014 in the Olympics. The guy that was oh so close to a Stanley Cup actually against his former team. 
I I felt so bad for David Backus. Now, granted, I wanted St. Louis to win that cup uh, to get their first one in franchise history. But man, I, that's you know, there's there's players, and maybe this is going to be a list in the future. Is you know, players that never got to want to win a Stanley Cup that maybe should have, right? Like Hall of Famers and whatnot that uh, don't have a cup to their name because there's plenty out there. And, and David Backus was uh, to me, a, especially from his leadership role and. You know, it, especially when his career was on uh, was winding down, though I think he he took it with grace, and you know he accepted his role. He never really complained. He was a, it was a great off the ice teammate as well, and just sad that after a great story career, did it backwards, was never able to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. Uh, certainly, in my opinion, deserving. Now he is he a Hall of Famer? I'm not quite sure. Uh, that could be debated later, but certainly a guy that I thought uh, should have been much closer. And he was with Boston, but that was his last kick at the Stanley Cup can, unfortunately. Yeah, if it wasn't for his time in Chicago, actually Marion Hosa might have fell into that same boat with the Detroit Pittsburgh situation in the late 2000s. Yeah. 2008, 2009 could have been the same exact predicament. Uh, we waited a long time to see if he would finally get a crack uh, at a Stanley Cup there. Um, moving over to Calgary. Uh, the Flames, they signed Michael Stone and Erica Branson each to one-year deals. Former Vancouver Canucks Jake Vertanen, he's joined Spartak in the Continental Hockey League after his contract was bought out this July. Uh, the 25-year-old was sued for sexual assault two months prior. Um, he's tallied exactly 100 points over six seasons out there in British Columbia. So kind of a still kind of a hairy situation uh, involving Jake Bertanen, um as well. Lastly, Toronto forward Ilya Mikheyev, he asked for a trade at the end of last season, which the Maple Leafs denied. Uh, kind of an interesting little story there. He had a breakout rookie campaign two years ago. Uh, wrist, wrist injury kind of sidelined him from that, and then he's returned, kind of been relegated to that bottom six role. Um, Kyle Dubas, the GM of Toronto, he's kind of made it well known that uh, the 26-year-old Russian, he's going to be part of the team's plans moving forward, and they denied that request. Kind of an interesting move. I guess I understand you wanting to play more, but but, I mean, what do you do? It's Toronto. That's the thing. It makes sense from the player's perspective. I think Ilya Mikheyev definitely is a, is a guy that has top six talent potentially, um, but that top six is locked in for Toronto right now. Um, and again, yeah. when you can get a player of his caliber for the value that he has with Toronto, uh, a team that, you know, as we know, is, is very top heavy and has been blasted for the makeup of that team. Uh, there's no question that, you know, and again, when a player requests a trade, Toronto doesn't have to honor that. It's, you know, that's their decision. Now, you know, if, if other things happen, um, such as does it not show up at training camp and he really, you know, puts a heart out, I don't think he can do that because then he doesn't get paid. Uh, but, you know, if these, you know, sort of conversations continue to evolve and maybe get more nasty, there's maybe ways you can force a trade. Uh, but at the end of it, I don't think, uh, again, I'm, I'm with you, there. I don't think you want to, uh, especially with the Leafs. Uh, this could be, you know, their last shot with this with this core, and he might get his wish no matter what if he sticks it out one more year the way that this uh, train's going there, Noah. Yeah, he might also end up back in that top six role, though. You're missing uh, Joe Thornton. I know Michael Bunting, a couple players have come in, a couple players have left, too. He might get a, a kick at the can here, too, as well. We'll have to see how he plays uh, under his second full season of the National Hockey League. And one bit of news that uh, we actually forgot to include here, Noah, is that uh, for the women's St. Claude hockey games this year, they're not being broadcast um, on WCHE, uh, WCHA TV. In fact, they're going to Big Ten Plus. Oh, yeah, that's right. And and there is a rumor. No, I, I will make sure I make this, you know, big rumor banner right here that, um, as we know, the men's side of the WCHA has now been shut down permanently, but the women's side is still there. 
there's some rumors out there that this may be the last season of the women's WCHA. And there could be essentially a women's big 10 conference that might be coming after this year. Again, these are strictly rumors. Um, the media sometimes, you know, these contracts that sometimes can give an indication of what might go. And um, the conversation would be is would St. Cloud be included in this or would they join a different conference or would they form their own? Uh, there's some interesting times coming up for St. Cloud to hockey. Supposedly uh, we got to get through this season first, but maybe some rumblings of some changes coming up conference wise for the women's hockey team. Yeah. Speaking of conference wise, this was actually a section that was going to be in the main portion of the show, but I think it's very fitting here. It's a very quick tidbit about the women's hockey team. So we're just going to hit it right now. Uh, women's hockey as well. Uh, they did add an exhibition game to their schedule coming up here at the tail end of this month, September 25th at the Herbrooks national hockey center. Women's hockey gets rolling with an exhibition game against a conference opponent, Bemidji state university at home. Uh, again, it's an exhibition game, so it's not going to count for points, but it's going to be a really good tune up before they have Lindenwood uh, in the following weeks. And start to hit that non-conference schedule into a, a quick conference schedule where I believe Wisconsin is their first WCHA test. So it's going to be um, a very quick start for the women's hockey team as well. And we wish them obviously the best of luck. Welcome back to episode number 78, Noah Grant. I am Nick Maxson. Uh, Saturday, September 11, 2021. Uh, no, real quick, before we get into the meat potatoes of the show, uh, I think it is important that we take just a moment to, uh, to reflect and take a moment of silence um, as the 20-year anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. Uh, have, or, this is the day of that and uh, just very... You know, just a very dark time in the history of this. The, the U.S. has never been the same since that. So for folks listening to the podcast, we'll take a quick uh, five seconds of silence to honor those lives that were not only lost on 9-11, but also those um, who avenged the United States over the last 20 years as well fighting overseas. Thank you. And yeah, and, and speaking, you know, there's no really, really good transition to this, Noah. Um, and again, first of all, uh, I guess maybe we should ask real quick. Do you remember, I know you must have been, what, just a, a tear in your mother's five. eye, but you were yeah. five yeah. when 9-11 happened. Can you maybe enlighten the viewers? Do you even remember what was going on? Were you understanding yeah. what was going on? Do you go ahead and yeah. tell yeah. the, the I, listeners? Yeah, I actually, um, I, I remember, I know it was a Tuesday. I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that it was on a Tuesday. Um I didn't really understand the significance of it, but I do remember it very vividly, actually. I, and I'm probably, it's interesting to think about, like I, I'm a December 96 birthday, right? Um, myself, like my class, I'm high school class of 15. So my class and maybe the class below me are probably the last generation that might actually remember you know, what happened that day. Um, I was five, I was playing with my Hot Wheels, actually. Um, uh, you know how I do, even to this Good day, start right? the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but I was hanging out uh, next to the side of the couch and I was playing with my Hot Wheels. My mom, um, she likes to get up early in the morning. She likes to work out. So of course she's got the Nordic track, the old school Nordic track. She brings it in the living room and she, she's getting ready to kind of set it up and she has some workout tapes that she'll, she'll throw in there. But um, before she does that, um, usually when she turns on the TV, she usually checks, you know, what's going on in the news before I, you know, put the VCR in at that time or whatever it was. Well, she flipped on the news and it was actually right when the second plane hit the trade center when they were doing the coverage. Um, and I remember, you know, she kind of had this audible reaction and it, you know, I stopped and turned and, and watched her. And like I said, I didn't comprehend what exactly all was going on, but it doesn't take much even at five years old to understand, you know, 
a, a plane exploding into the side of a building as well too so that that's what my memory was and then of course obviously as i got older it continued to uh you heard all the conspiracy theories and you heard all the things that you know go which ways but obviously a very dark time uh, in our country's history now I, I just want to follow up with you quick noah because it's interesting how you're able to remember that this was bad but were you under the understanding at that point that this was an act of terror or was it more of like maybe a pilot error or I guess what was your do you remember the thoughts you had at that age well like I I remember my mom's reaction and I guess you know I think that kind of influenced my reaction because she obviously like I said didn't really see the first plane hit so at first it was this thought of you know oh it must there must have been something wrong but then the news banner goes there's already been a first plane that hit when it really started to set in for us was actually so both my parents are government workers my mom's a nurse my dad's a wildlife biologist um my dad was actually sent home right away that day because they wanted all government employees to like leave the buildings and stuff after they were kind of in limbo. So that's when, that's when it kind of started to sink in was that um, uh, he was able to make a phone call right before the phone line started to really kind of get bogged down with all the government action that was going on. So it was kind of just quick, Hey, I don't know what's going on, but I saw this was going on. And my mom was kind of trying to explain, you know, there's been, there's been, you know, some bad people essentially that have been attacking, you know, New York city and dad was going to come home. And that was kind of what I had processed at the time. So remember the day very clearly. I was a freshman in high school at Eastview High School. This was second hour. So this was 8.30 in the morning. And this was Mr. Habeck. Now, for, uh, for those Eastview alumni who maybe hopefully are tuning in, Mr. Habeck, the uh, wrestling coach of Eastview for a number of years, um, also a social studies teacher. Um, we did uh, current events um, in his, uh, and what he would do was he'd actually would get up at like five or six o'clock in the morning. He would actually tape ABC's uh, Good Morning America. And of course, back then, for those of you who don't understand that how difficult technology was back in the day, yeah, you had your old VCR player and that had to be on like channel three or channel four, channel five. That was the only time you could play it. Right. So he turns on the TV. That was the first thing we did is we got the class sat down, the bell goes off. And then all of a sudden it's like, let's watch current events. It was maybe what a five, six minute segment. We would talk about things. And as he's turned on the TV to get to play, the first tower was already hit. Um, and I remember very clearly the conversation at that point was, it was much different early on. It was okay. You know, at that point, they, I think they were calling it like a small Cessna and this was maybe a pilot error. And how could this happen? You know, this is crazy. This, it was more seen at that point in isolated incident, but as we kept watching it, we just, we just, the TV was just on. And I just remember my social studies teacher, Mr. Hobbit, he was just sitting there literally two feet from this 32 inch tube TV hands on his hips. And he's just staring at this and we were all just glued to it. We just didn't know what was going on. And then live, we watched the second right. tower get hit. And very clearly, not a small plane, very clearly a jetliner. Um, and then that's when the first time I ever heard the name Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, terrorism, these kind of words I've never heard of before, right? Yeah. And then that's when, again, FAA grounds every single aircraft. Then there's reports of two other hijackings. And actually, for those who don't remember, that third one that was rumored to be hijacked, and I think it was more of a radio transmission error. I believe it was United or American, like 217 or something like that. Anyway, um, obviously, United 93 had the Minnesota and Tom Bernana, which fought back, and that plane ended up crashing in Pennsylvania. And, of course, the other um, yeah. aircraft crashing in the Pentagon. Um, I remember, too, getting home. And for those 
who watched like CNN, who watched NBC, those little news tickers, those started because of 9-11. They were not present before that. They didn't need them. It was a way to sort of kind of update continuous information. They've really never turned back from that day. And that was first introduced back at 9-11. Uh, second thing was I remember in Minneapolis, they evacuated the IDS tower for those who maybe don't know it, but it's the big blue tower hexagon looking thing. They evacuated and shut down the Mall of America. Uh, you know, so at that point, we just didn't know when it was going to stop. Right. We just wanted to contain everything. Uh, just crazy day. And at 14 years old, I mean, I look back on it then and, you know, I feel like I was pretty mature for my age. And, you know, I realized pretty quick, even when I got home, that this was this this was an act of war, you know, and yeah. uh, was kind of curious as to how we would go from here. It's amazing to, for me to think about i was explaining it to um one of the kids that uh, i skate with he's 16 years old so obviously i don't even i think he's i want to say he's like an 04 or something like that 0304 right. something like that so obviously wasn't alive at the time and explaining to him that like yeah we were this close to not having a white house or having a big hole through the white house and um, I, I think that's one of the pieces that does get lost in translation is obviously, I mean, I've been to the, um, the twin towers, the Memorial and, um, trade center one or whatever it is now. Um, I've been there twice and it's a humbling experience. I've been to the Pentagon as well too, gotten to see the Memorial there. Um, but to think that, you know, we almost had a, had a burning hole through the white house too. I think that sometimes gets lost in translation as well too. So, um, obviously, uh, we are, we have a bunch of memorials up here. We had a couple, we had a gal that passed away that actually ended up, um, we ended up getting a new ski lodge in memory of her and actually a bunch of the firefighters that um, were in New York at the time and were actually in the building. And then the firefighter groups after came in and actually helped us build the um, ski lodge and it's kind of a little memorial up here as well for her too. So um, I think that uh, you would hope that the country has healed um, and really kind of learned a lot from that day and continued to, you know, grow and remember those who did lose their lives on that day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a day to remember and, um, a very, very, um, sorrowful time, um, when 9-11 comes around, even, um, 20 years later. You know, what, let's go ahead and transition back to hockey here, Noah, but, yeah. uh, and there's no really good, uh, you know, segue for this, but yeah. I, I was, I was, I was going to ask, I know we were going to talk about the Kirill Kaprizov thing. I was wondering, yeah. can, can we start with the, with the other topic that we were going to do first? Yeah. I think so, it's maybe a little more natural one. So sure. So yeah. the, the one hockey moment that aggravates you that people talk to this day. So we're, you know, the, I think the one for most, I think Minnesota hockey fans um, that sticks out to them. And now this seems speaking of in general, uh, just because I think a lot of folks still follow the North stars when they became the Dallas stars. And you talk about the foot possibly creation with Brett Hull in 99, when they won the cup. Um, I definitely watched that. Um, I, whatever I like shirt, by the way, thank you. Norm green still sucks. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, that's not my moment, Noah, but I'm curious as to know, and we, and for those listening or tuning in, we did not share our moments with each other. So this is, uh, you know, going to be an insightful for even us. Uh, Noah, I'm going to kick it out to you first. Uh, which moment when it's brought up as far, as far as hockey history in the NHL still just makes your neck turn to the side and gets it all uh, twisted up a bit? Yeah, um, this one's very, very clear in my head, and it should be because I'm the one who picked the topic. But <laughs> I would hope so. None, nonetheless, I, Patrick Steffen. <laughs> Pat, Patrick, Patrick Steffen. I, I hate how people call him an idiot or that he didn't know what he was doing. If you watch, with the, you. if you watch the replay, he goes, you know, and the other thing is too, not that, not that he couldn't have shot on his forehand, but 
I would say like his actions are trying to make about as darn sure as you can that the puck is going to go into the middle of the net. And the fact that he hit a patch of a chunk in the ice, essentially, and and it hopped him right when he was making that play. If you've ever played hockey, you know that you can make an incredible play and step through five guys and be on a breakaway. And right when you go to shoot a puck, if that puck hits a bump in the ice and gets on edge, that's all it takes for you to not be able to make that play. And it just so happened. It was so ill-timed. It drives me nuts, number one that people think that he's an idiot for that. No idiotic is when Craig Smith roofed one into the upper deck at Bridgestone arena in Nashville, when he had a wide open net, that's, that's just, you know, one of those things. The other thing is too, regardless of how you thought that was going to go, there was seven or eight seconds left in the game. What were the, what was the rest of the team doing when Edmonton turned the corner and came back the other direction? Like you, I, I mean, it, well, it I was think almost, everybody it was else, almost, right? Yeah, it was almost a four on one the other way. And not to say that, you know, you shouldn't have expected him to, you know, not score or something like that. But it's also at the same time, you know, you play till the play is over. So you got to, and even so, even if you have a turnover in that predicament, they're 170 feet away from the other end and they still got burned on that play. So I don't know. It drives me nuts when people still call it, you know, this big blooper, this idiotic play. No, he hit a, he hit a patch in the crease. <laughs> it's one of those moments in sports where it's like, if 10 things have to go wrong to make it happen, that was that play. Right. Yep. Um, as you mentioned, and, and you know, I don't have to explain it, but you know, the puck hits a rut or something, the puck hops over the stick again, happens to be at the right time. And then Ryan Smith goes up to Alish Hemsky, who at the time was probably the best oiler forward one-on-one on the goaltender. Yeah. And he's able to do a nice stretch backhand. And if I remember correctly, uh, Dallas, uh, they lost that game. Didn't they? I think they won that in the shootout. If I recall, was it? No, it's a playoff game. Was it not? No, that was a regular season game. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, at the end of it, they still got the two points. Uh, and I, I've listened to some of those, you know, and they interviewed Patrick Stefan after that. And, you know, you could, you could even see from him, you know, his responses where, you know, he looked at it the same way that I think you look at it, which is this is just an unbelievably just insanely awkward, you know, series of events that just happened to culminate in one moment. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously – yeah, January fourth, two thousand seven. You're right. Yeah. yeah, his career actually ended thirteen games later. Um, that crazy. Um, yeah. I have one for you, and uh, it's actually quite specific, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> Let's go back to April twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. You probably don't remember this, wait, but this photograph has been shared by a ton because it happens to do with the Dallas Stars as well, and your Minnesota Wild, and potentially. What was what many wild fans consider what should have been a goal was not. It's the needle needle writer, right pad save on Kari Letton and the photograph. Oh, that was the playoff game where they came back from like four goals down in the third. Correct. Yeah. This was the parallax angle goal, right? So yeah. the famous picture that's gets shared all over social media is front facing to the net. And the zoom in is what looks like the puck over the goal line. Here's the problem. This camera is from center ice on the top of the scoreboard. So the angle is looking this way. Yeah. Um, for those folks who really want a fantastic explanation, the sports net, go to YouTube and, and YouTube literally the parallax angle. And they actually do a live demonstration on this with their own camera. 
um, and it's just wonderfully demonstrated. Um, in fact, the actual YouTube uh, videos is actually labeled how geometry created the illusion of a flames goal because it happened to uh, the Calgary Flames 2004 yeah. against the Anaheim Ducks. Um, so at, at the end of the day, um, this it drives me nuts because they they look at that photograph and I understand it, but the problem is that's from what 90 feet away and it's at an angle that's not over the top yeah and yet on this uh page that i have pulled up here no we have that camera it's in that top right part of the net right and yeah. clearly looking straight down at the goal line and about half the puck is still over is still on the goal line so no goal right um but it drives me nuts when people are blaming that on the reason why the minnesota wild did not win that game first of all in the playoff you don't go down four four to one yeah you just don't, um, yeah. especially in an elimination game to boot. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and granted great theater, great drama. Um, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, um, that was not a goal, um, correctly called on the ice and correctly reviewed and got the, uh, the call. It should have been no goal. Um, but it just, it just drives me nuts <laughs> when, you know, you, you, people look at a camera angle, but don't understand or don't realize where that camera is coming from and you know, how that could maybe, yeah, uh, you give the an illusion as it's so well, you know, defined there that it's not quite as what it seems, right? So that's yeah. mine. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, one, right? no, I was actually, um, I actually, I was working that day, um, and I was listening to the game on the radio while I was cutting grass, and I listened to the game the first few periods, and there was about ten minutes left in the in the second period, and of course, it was kind of getting out of hand at that point. And I was like, okay, this is dumb, and I shut it off in my vehicle and drove the twenty minutes home. And when I came back, it was whatever it was, five to three or five to four, and some, something like that. And I was like, oh, we started watching, and you know, obviously, that that one was that one kind of sucked. But I mean, we we're kind of out of it you know, it, to begin with, with the way that you put yourself in position in that game. The other two ones that I thought were painful as a Minnesota wild fan, I thought uh, the Jake Allen where Jake Allen had the most unreal game of his career in game one against St. Louis yes. um, and the wild were able to tie it with like 24 seconds left in regulation, but then they lost an OT. The wild should have won that game seven, nothing. And I think it would have changed yeah. the complexion of that series. They got swept in that series. If I'm not mistaken, correct. Or they went to five games, five games. Um, that the Minnesota Wild lost that one and uh Stanchion Gate um having a chance to push push the series to game seven against Chicago when they are in game six in overtime and dump in from I think it was Jalmerson and he goes right up to Stanchion and of course Patty Kane comes in highlight backhander shelf over Brisgolov to knock the wild out of their only second round appearance since 2003. I mean it was um, and it's kind of crazy to think that that was the same run in 2014 when Nino Niederreiter played hero, him and Jared Spurgeon in Colorado. And you had Bruce Gall come in halfway through the third for Darcy Kemper. That was a wild ride for Minnesota Wild fans and crazy to think that we were potentially one goal away from sending that to a game seven that could have sent us to a conference final for the first time since 2003 as well, too. So, um, but yeah, Minnesota Wild trying to just get to that second round again. We're like the American Toronto Maple Leafs at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, speaking of getting to the second round, I think it's a great transition to talk about again, Kaprizov countdown. And I, I've got some hot takes on this, Noah. Yeah. Panic, um, panic at the XL dish. So this goes well, a little bit. Yes. Um, we, we finally do have some panic and rightfully so now, but I'm actually going to throw some shade a little bit of Bill Guerin right now. And I'm actually also going to throw some shade at, you know, some folks who are, I've seen this, what looks like a screenshot of, I don't know if it looks like a Reddit post, and I think somebody's like, oh, what's our, our Russian uh, correspondent 
And they're saying that on Monday, the 13th, Caprieta is supposed to fly into the U.S. and sign a five-year deal with $45 million. I don't buy it. I'm selling it. And here's why. We wasn't, heard he this- a, wasn't he just at a wedding yesterday? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not only that, here's the problem. On August 31st, um, during the state fair time, Michael Russo kind of announced that this was where things supposedly were trending. Well, hold on. To make a contract, you need term and you need dollar amount. So why the hell wasn't this thing signed, Noah? This is where oh, my... Sh- would you like this- to know why? I, I may have an opinion. Go ahead. But You have an opinion? I, yeah. Well, and here's where I'm going to throw some shade at Bill Guerin. This is part of that public... To me, it's, pu- it's public posturing. I still don't think they're as close as he's making it seem out to be. I don't. Because um, if you have the agreement of the term, the dollars, well, that's the only two things you need to sign a goddamn contract. Pardon my French. Yeah. Um, so to me... You know, and you can, some can make their, is it a signing bonus thing? Is it this and that? Maybe. But that to me is not the bare bones of why we've had such long and drug out contract situation that we still are in. Um, And right now the temperature is turned up. So, but I do want to get your thoughts on this. Um, Cause yeah, I just don't, I I don't buy it. I don't buy that. It happens magically on Monday too. I don't think they're as close. I don't, I get that. Some information comes out, and as reporters, right, it sounds like good news. So it's like, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not, this is not a shot at Michael Russo at all, because he wouldn't report something unless yeah. he's, there a cred- was... he's a credible source. So it sounds right, pretty. And, you know? and I'm sure multiple people, I know how he operates, multiple people have told him that, right? Now, whether that's been discussed is one thing, which could be why that came about, but agreed upon is completely different. And that's I think where the holdup is. I think that the I think the why they're now really starting to push. I really do think because Garen even mentioned himself, it's in a delicate situation, and I think what that means breaking it down though is that he knows the calendar and he knows we're up against the clock now, right? The last thing you want to do is to continue to drag this on. We talked about it. We've talked about ad nauseum for the last what eight weeks, and we eight months. Yeah, right. <laughs> and last week we had said if we got to this point next week or yeah, last week, if we got to this point now that we're in and there's still another contract and now we have some heat turning up, not only on Bill Garrett, but also on the Kaprizov camp, right? Yeah. We, this is uh, this is gonna get yeah, September fifth September fifteenth is what we kind of had earmarked yeah. for, for the date. Now I, I agree with you in some senses and Others, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I was listening to, uh, what is it, the podcast that Russo and Anthony LePanta do, Worst Seats in the House. Worst Seats in the House, yes. Yeah, um, very, very good. It was about the 27-minute mark of their last episode that they had talked about it as well. Um, and, and this is a piece, I think you're right about the accountability portion, accountability portion. Bill Guerin needs to kind of step to the plate, albeit, you know, has to be a little more cautious because he wants the player to sign. Um Kaprizov himself has to stand up and, and go to his agent and say, all right, let's get this done. We talked about, like we said, September 15th kind of being that date um, as well. I think they're a little closer than you give it credit for, though. And one of the points that was made um, by the pair on the podcast was the, the one, the, the same agent as Panarin. Kaprizov yep. has that. So you have that, I don't want to say the Russian mentality, but that the same kind of negotiating strategy, if you will. But more than that, I think when their camp was firmly set and saying, no, we want a three-year deal. We want a short-term deal. Minnesota finally gets them to back off of that and gets them to that five-year potential kind of bridge gap. 
but they're still going to pay him essentially what is an overpay. $9.5 million right now is an overpay for a kid who's played less than 60 games in the National Hockey League. Let's be real. But From they what fi- we've seen, right? Right, yes. right, right. He could be a super, he could be a hundred point per season player, potentially. We don't know. Um, or he could fall flat on his face. We don't know. Patrick Steppen, great example. Um, first overall pick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for uh, Atlanta. In 99? I think so. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so, um, but anyhow, I digress. But the piece that I think goes back to, I think that they are set on term and salary. I think the holdup really is contract structure. And one of the points that Michael Russo made was escrow. And the fact that the players are going to have to be paying a good chunk of their salaries for the next four or five years to try to alleviate some of the revenue loss that has come from this previous season. So I think if you're Kaprizov, I think from what I heard, he wants to get paid a little bit differently. And then they're trying potentially to backload that contract on top of that within regulations that were changed in the CBA due to contracts like Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. So um, opposite so that, actually, because Parisi and Suter were front loaded. Right. Right. But, so, they, but the CBA does try to balance it in either direction to where right. um, yeah, it's got to be within a percentage. Yeah. Now by backloading it, the idea, and this makes sense. Um, yeah. I don't disagree with you there. That is the idea is at some point, the NHL's financial situation is going to improve. Therefore the escrow would eventually go down, which means he's actually going to take home money more of that percentage yeah. in later years. The, so the, I get the, that. Yeah. The problem right now actually is Kirill Kaprizov. Kirill Kaprizov has to be willing to say, okay, I'm potentially going to make nine and a half million dollars. I be, and again, Michael Russo said this too, or actually Anthony the Panther said this, you become a distraction. Even if you miss day one of training camp because Correct. of this, at, at this point, Kaprizov says, I don't care what it has to be. We're, we're almost two weeks from training camp. Exactly. If I'm not mistaken right now. Um, yeah. You've you've got to say, I don't care how it gets done. I need to be in the country. I need to be vaccinated to meet team regulations. I have to have everything taken care of. I need to be in the ice on day one. Get the contract done. Kaprizov kind of has to grow a set of stones and do that. We've seen contracts get shifted around in a structure. Who was it? The goaltender for Seattle um, that had not triggered the other one. Uh, um, Grubauer. He had Grubauer. to have he had yeah. to have one of his years adjusted by two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make sure that the, he fits to the CBA. I don't care how it happens. Make it done. Kaprizov has to put that on his agent because that's what he's paying him money for. That's what his agent job is he's done the part of giving his client Kaprizov the maximum amount of dollar amount potentially that he can get don't be fickle over an extra fifty thousand a hundred thousand dollars get this deal done get this kid on the ice let's get the ball rolling and let's pop some goals in the back of the net and I believe so Noah and I think someone might have double checked me on this and please do is that I don't think he can leave Russia until he gets it because 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 of the work visa yeah right Mm -hmm. so that's part why I said like that whole like screenshot that's floating around from this, you know, Russian thing is BS. That's like, he yep. can't just come to the U S then sign a deal. No, he's got to sign it and then get his butt over here. So it's like, it, it's flawed from the beginning. I just, yeah. I, it just, it's too ceremonial yeah. to me. Training it, camp, it, I think is two weeks from tomorrow. So if I you're being, you're if, you're, if you're being, you know, theoretical about this, getting him back, uh, boy, I would say at worst, and I know we keep extending this deadline end of the week this week, Friday is like, is like red hot pushing it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and again, because of the way that, you know, this game of negotiation chess has been played. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and granted what, what makes it, I think harder 
uh, in this particular situation is Garen's been a former player and mind you, a hard nose one to, you know, so he's been through this and more so. And I think I it was either Russo or somebody else saying that, you know, Garen is a player. He had to work for everything that he got, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just handed to him. So maybe, and obviously this is speculation, but I think the thought was there's a little bit of that mentality where Garen, he knows something's going to get done, but I think he's also saying, Hey man, like this is where I'm at, you know, and you know, I'm not just going to bend over backwards uh, for that. So, mm-hmm. but without further ado, Noah, I do agree. Wednesday, I still think is a good, like, you know, curtain call, if you want to say it, but if yeah. we don't see anything but this uh, business week, um, yeah, I think at this point, it's not either or, or it's now both are on the hot seat uh, in terms of the Minnesota wild fan base. And yeah. at some point you just got to get this done. And again, the structuring, I get it. I actually don't disagree with that. Um, I, I get signing bonus could be part of that too, because I don't think that goes into any sort of those, uh, you know, other metrics as well. Yeah. Uh, but again, got to get this done. It's time. Yeah. You've got to get it done. And also if you're the Minnesota wild players, uh, again, they talked about this on um, uh, Russell and Lepanta did in their podcast, maybe some of the players that Caprice out leans on, maybe kind of give them a little nudge and say, Hey man, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to have you at camp, you know, like kind of, you know, put your foot down on this too. But on, on that same vein, the players have to, uh, at this point, have to kind of almost prepare to be there without Kirill Kaprizov and prepare to do their jobs and get it done. And if he's not there on day one in camp, you got to let it be as minimal as a distraction as it's going to be because they're going to get questions about it, obviously, and this and that. But uh, right now the focus is Minnesota Wild Hockey without Kirill Kaprizov, and hopefully he's back into the fold. But right now all you can do as a player, Jared Spurgeon, whoever it is, uh, lead the team and get it done. 100% agreed, Noah. Uh, again, we've been waiting. We've been patient. We've uh, probably, for some of those who are Twins fans, we're, we're, it's hanky-biting time, right? It's, it's just, it's Hockey tense. season's around the corner. Right, exactly. And uh, these are these are crazy times. And we just yeah. hope that in the next, uh, well, sooner than later, uh, that Caprizov can be inked to a contract, uh, whatever the case may be. And ideally, it's five years. And I don't care eight, what the money at this year, point. Eight years, 13 and a half million. Right. Heard it here uh, first. Longer than shorter. But <laughs> uh, with that being said, uh, I think it's time to uh, also move on uh, to mm-hmm. our extra ice part of the show here in Noah and um, a little bit of a different one. And I think for those of you uh, listening or watching, uh, you're going to like this one. We're going to be predicting our actual Huskies lineup on opening night here, October 2nd, as the Huskies will open up at the Herbush National Hockey Center um, against St. Thomas in their first ever Division One hockey game. So stick around for that and we'll see you here in the next extra ice session. And it's the extra ice here session here, Noah. So uh, welcome back in for those who have been tuning in. Um, this is a fun one. Um, I kind of like this because for the Husky squad, you know, it, it, what we're going to be doing here for folks is we're going to be predicting our opening lineup, who makes it in potential line combinations, both offense, defense. I think we can already say, I think we know who's starting in net. I think that's an easy one. Um, <laughs> it was about but, the only, only easy thing in this entire thing. But. Right. But it's interesting <laughs> because as, as we started to analyze the lineup card, Noah, and you know, there's maybe two, there was two starters that were in the lineup, you know, the entire time that's Jared Cockle will hammer. They've gone into different things, but when we started to really, you know, deep dive into, uh, what this might look like. There's actually some question marks that are more than just two positions here. And I, I kind of want to throw the, uh, the bucket right at you first. Um, what's first start on the defensive core for the squad. And I want to start there because there's a lot of depth in this squad on the, on the back end um, enough. So where I think you have up to seven starters 
Honestly, if you yeah. wanted to rotate maybe, seven D in, maybe um, even, even maybe even eight, eight right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and which is you know defense wins championships, right? Yeah. Um, so but you know you have um, a Mister Hockey Award winner Jack uh, Peart that will more than likely see ice time. Uh, the question is, you know, is there pairs uh, that you don't touch, or you know, if you're Brett Larson, the coaching staff, regardless of what got you there last year, do you try a couple of things? I guess. If you're, you know, making this line at chart, how do you structure this defensive core? Who pairs with who? And, and maybe who's rotating in and out? Or do we see, you know, guys that didn't see ice time last year that are going to see ice time this year? Or maybe vice versa. Is there somebody that may be vulnerable to have a spot taken away from them this upcoming season? Yeah. Well, starting on the back, back end, like you had mentioned, I, uh, fifth year starter, David Renicky is going to probably be the starter, um, LA Kings traffic. And then Jackson Caster, Joey Lammer, are going to push him hard in net there. So there's your uh, goaltending trio, if you will, uh, on the defensive side, uh, you've got nine players in that core right now on defense. Uh, I, there's only one pairing that I'm not touching right now. Uh, that's Nick Burbick's Seamus Donahue. Uh, that's your first pairing. You're not going to touch that group. Um, at least as of right now, unless something changes or the wheels fall off the wagon or something like that right now, I think it's the only pairing that you leave uh, other than that it's kind of up in the air um spencer meyer is going to be in the lineup somewhere i have him listed right now as a second pairing defenseman i think that he's earned that spot he's a captain on this team he's played and played enough well enough consistently and he's a guy that uh, when i look at him uh he's it, easy to describe him as a 200 foot player, but I almost look as look at him more as a defensive defenseman. And I think he's been kind of put in that spot where he's kind of had to be an in-between player. Not that he can't provide offense, but he really strikes me more as a more defensive oriented game. So I think, you know, the question mark is going to be, I have Jack Peart there right now. I could even see Andre Trayball slotting into this spot simply because you have the ability to maybe kind of run a more offensive defense and have a dynamic top four, if you will. But Peart or Trayball, I think, you know, switch maybe in there. Uh, Luke Jaycox is the other guy that I have penciled in the top six right now. I really like his game. I think he's a consistent player. I think he's a very smart hockey player and a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit for what the way he plays the game cerebrally, if you will. You talk about a guy like Jack Jack Peart, who thinks the game very well with a hockey IQ. Jack Peart's a little more offensively upside gifted than Luke Jaycox, but Luke Jaycox plays the game the right way on both ends of the ice. And I think you really saw that flourish um, during tournament time, NCAA tournament time. And of course, uh, he popped a goal as well, too. Um, after that, uh, you've got um, Josh Ludetke, um, Brandon Bushy, and Brady Zemer there. Um, I don't know who's that seventh defender if you decide to dress seven defenders in there. Um, I guess I don't know enough about Josh. Uh, Brendan Bushy, I think, is a guy that, uh, similar to Luke Jaycox, uh, plays a really strong defensive game. Um, I think it's really going to come down to which one, which who in this defensive core really looks good out of camp. Brady Zemer, uh, good physical presence, good grit, a good guy to throw in. Maybe if you have a tough Friday night, you're looking for a little bit more spark on the back end. I uh, had some discipline issues here and there throughout the season. So I think that's kind of been the knock on him is, as we saw, uh, kind of a, kind of a younger guy that maybe kind of needs to learn that role, learn the time and a place for those sorts of things. This defensive core is deep. Very, very deep defensive core for St. Cloud State. Uh, but I think as we're going to allude to uh, here in a little bit, Nick, this, this, the forward group, especially with the question marks surrounding Issa Brodzinski and where when he'll actually be ready to go, um, there are some question marks there as well. But on your side, Mr. Maxson, who do you like uh, for your pairings in this defensive core? Uh, first of all, yes, you don't touch Donahue or Perbix. Um, that to me was the best uh, defensive pairing, I think, in college hockey last year. Uh, sorry, you master, you're not the state of hockey. Um, but to me, Brendan Bushy is 
is the guy that is to me a guy that you can circle and is going to be, I think one that's on the move um, as far as up and down the lineup. Uh, Spencer Meyer, I have in pencil as that second right uh, defenseman. And I don't see a better opportunity to put in Jack Peart on a pairing than I do with Spencer Meyer. Um, yeah. I agree. Uh, Spencer Meyer, I think he's underrated a little bit for some of his offense. Mind you, he's been on the power play a little bit on that second unit. He has actually yeah. potted a couple he's of power play goals. He's got a cannon of a shot. He does have a good shot. And it was interesting where the knock on Brandon Bushy is a skate. Um, he's a big body defenseman. Was he listed six two two three? He's a big boy, um, and that's why that pairing sometimes can be really really nice. Um, we saw this in the Stanley Cup playoffs with Tampa and uh, a couple other teams where if you had those big trees in the back end, it made life very very tough for opposing forwards. And that's the thing that you know Brent Larson has to really like about Brandon Bushy is that he's a big dude. He plays a very sound defensive style. He's not going to excite you in the offensive style by any means. But sometimes I feel like Brendan Bershey also uh, not as calm with the puck. Uh, sometimes is vulnerable to maybe panicking a little bit. Um, and so if you're going to pair a freshman, Mr. Hockey Woodwinner, to me, that's a spot where, uh, especially maybe in a, in a non-conference game, or if you're trying to get him a little bit more experience, you're trying to, you know, fuel by, you know, baptism by fire, if you want to call it, I would put him with Spencer Meyer. I think they'd be a great combination. So I think yeah. cerebrally, I think they'd be a great pair. And, uh, and, that, and that's and that's where you, just to quickly jump in. That's where you talk about Brendan Bush. He might easily end up, or somebody below might end up in that spot. If Jack Peart maybe needs a little bit more time to adjust, maybe he becomes a seventh defenseman too. So correct. And Andre Trable is a guy too that is kind of that mix between Bushy and Peart a bit, where he, he shows signs that he can kind of be aggressive, especially in the neutral zone. There's a lot of things that he reads very very well and can disrupt. Uh, things, especially uh, uh, long stretch passes. Um, he reads plays very, very well coming at him. Again, sometimes offensively, I think he tries to do some things. You know, I remember watching Dick Purvis even a couple of years ago. You try to do too much sometimes, where you just either carry the puck and make a turnover at the blue line, that kind of thing. So he's kind of a, an inconsistent player, but he's still good, right? But he's the guy that can provide you more offense. And then you have Luke Jacobs, just a guy that. I think kind of morphed a little bit in the playoffs last year, a little bit more offensive. Uh, I guess, I don't know if leash should be the right work is yeah, he's not, flare. he's not a little bit. Right. But yeah. I kind of feel like they unlock, they let him go with that. I just don't think that Jay Cox naturally is a guy that's going to jump in um, like those face-off plays we scored, I think was it yeah. against Boston yeah. where yeah. I don't think. We, he had talked about, he had talked about that. Maybe it's a, a relevant piece and credit the coaching staff. Maybe the system, you know, as well, the Huskies run, maybe starts to favor guys that are defensive being able to play more of that 200 foot game. Right. And that, and that to me is where, you know, a guy like Vernon Bushy to me is the guy that I've circled to be kind of that seventh defenseman, depending on what, what look, as you mentioned, you want to go with. Uh, I totally agree with you, Brady, for Brady Zoomer. Um, now to clarify what we mean by discipline is not like being, you know, stupid, more just, you know, there's, as you mentioned, it's more of like you, you pick a time to step up and make a hit because again, as a defenseman, if you're going to make the hit, you got to make contact or yeah. you have to at least disrupt the puck or you got to take the man or the yeah. puck. And there were times where, especially early last season, when he was getting some ice time that he got nothing right. And that ended up being odd numbers against him. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about Zemer though, I like, he's, he's actually a pretty damn good skater. Yeah, uh, he he's got, he's got wheels. So, um, you know, is, and, and, and for the fans too, um, if you're if you're ever watching a hockey game, especially if the Huskies are in their defensive zone, watch what's going on away from the puck. Um, yes. Fans may not know this, and especially with a guy like the way Zemer plays, there's a right time and a wrong time to bury a guy in front of the net. You know what I yep. mean? Like there's pushing and shoving and cross checks in the back. There's a right time and a wrong time to make plays like that. So uh, again, it's all about 
picking your moments to create separation and create an advantage or, you know, push a guy off the puck or push him out of position. There's a lot of things and hacking and whacking and stuff that go on behind the play that a lot of the casual fan doesn't notice that if you can play on the right side of that line, you know, Brady Zemer could be that spark plug guy that gets in other teams heads and frustrates forwards. If he can play his cards correctly. Right. And it's, you know, to take that one step further, no, it, we're not saying don't do it, but again, it's, yeah. you know, do you push a guy a little bit to create separation or do you like, is a cross check to the top where the guy falls that catches the other. If now you're taking a penalty, you're yeah. going down shorthanded. Right. So yeah. it's, 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 so, it's that so, line. Right? Yeah. So my question for you, Nick, before we move on to the forwards here, who is one guy in this defensive pairing that you look and you say, um, you know, he, he need he needs to find that, that extra mojo. I need to see a little bit more out of him this year. Is there one guy that you feel like maybe needs to have that breakout season or maybe kind of needs to elevate his game from last year? Honestly, to me, it's Trey ball. Um, and, and here's why I say Trey ball. He's got the tools. And I think part of why he wasn't a regular in the lineup, he was kind of that guy in Gallardo's Again, sometimes he just get caught, he gets caught on the wrong side of the puck. Um, I kind of feel like you know defensively he's got room to grow um, as far as his angles, as far as taking away the middle of the ice. Um, there's no question he's got offense, offensive upside, and there's some things that he does really well at reading the play. Um, but I also feel like sometimes he tries to force stuff. Uh, sometimes his defenseman doing less is doing more, and if he can just get more consistency with just settling down and not trying to feel like you got to make like that home run pass um, every single game or, you know, trying to win on the first play or the first pass. Right. Um, if he can just kind of settle things down, just make that 10 foot pass. Uh, and sometimes he's got feet too. use your feet. Sometimes uh, Nick Perbix, it took him a couple of years for him to really feel confident and feel like, you know what, if there's no passing lane, just skate it. Right. Um, that to me is the guy I want to see most improve because I think he has the tools to be a next level defenseman. Um, as far as Bushy and Jaycox, this is not a knock on the Benny Waynes, but they are who they are. They're defensive defensemen. I just want them to play exactly how they are. Like just be yeah. trees and be tough to get around. That's what they're there for. Uh, Zemer as a guy that, you know, we want to see a little bit more jump, um, you know, just growth in terms of the overall uh, IQ of the game, uh, both <laughs> in terms of structure, but also, as you mentioned, and we talked about the physicality of him too. And then, you know, I guess from that, this is a good yeah. problem to have for yeah. Brett Larson, honestly, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. have this it much is. of depth. Yeah, I, I was just chuckling how how um, you said that Trey Ball has feet. Hey, Andre, if you're listening, Nick Maxson wants to know you do, in fact, have feet. So um, I think he does. I think he does. Um, he, I if, don't think if, he uses if, it. If you look down, you got a left and a right. They're a matching pair. Um, yeah. my, my guy for me, this might be kind of an off-the-wall pick. My guy that I'm looking to have to, to find that extra gear is Spencer Meyer. And the Ooh. reason I say Spencer is simply because this, I think defensively, um, I think he's strong. I think there are a couple of times where um, when he gets hemmed in his own zone, he starts to run a little bit, but that's, that's almost every hockey player. When you're stuck in your own zone for a long shift, that's just, it's hard to stay disciplined at that point. I think for Spencer, this is an important year, not only for, you know, senior season, but he's potentially playing with either a young guy and Jack Peart or maybe Andre Trebel if they slot him up there. He's got to be that kind of glue guy, second pairing guy, third defenseman in that list, if you will, behind Perbex and Donahue in that first pairing. He's got to be the guy that has to be the catalyst in that second pairing that has to have that poison veteran confidence and be able to kind of 
lead with example and find that extra gear that I think he has it in him. I think there's another step to his game that he still has the ability to find. Um, and I don't know how to phrase it any better than that. I don't think there's anything specifically offensively or defensively that he needs to do. In I think it's a confidence issue. Honestly. Exactly. Exactly. Just kind of being sure of like, you know what, I'm picking up this puck. I'm, I'm snapping this puck with my winger. I'm be, it's going to be a first pass and just kind of commit to that play. Or, you know what, when in doubt, get it out off the glass. And like you mentioned, just maybe not taking that extra, I guess, half a second to kind of make the play because man, you're, you're a, a second pairing defenseman easily could be a first pairing defenseman to Seamus Donahue wasn't such a good fit with Nick Perbix on one of the best division one teams in college hockey, you know, play with confidence. You're a captain on this team um, and lead those young guys by example, and be a mentor for your Jack Peart's or Andre Trayballs. not only in the locker room, he's a great leader, but by the way, he plays as well too. I think he's in fifth gear right now. I think he's got a sixth gear that he can get to. I don't know how to phrase any better than that, but I think I think we're going to see good things about it this year, and I'm really excited. I agree with that. I think, you know, and confidence means, you know, you do things quicker, right? You know, just mm-hmm. it's just taking – again, we, we talk about this all the time. Uh, you no, know, I think we talked about this, you know, throughout the playoffs, too, is that that one-second gap of a lane to get from the puck to the blue line to the, to the net becomes a half a second. If you see it, you got to rip it, right? You just kind of have confidence – in yourself and your abilities that know you're going to get that shot through and, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to also take an extra step too. If, if that, uh, if that lane's closing fast, um, what's, oh, I'm trying to think of, uh, was it Jared Spurgeon? Remember 2014 when was it Nathan McKinnon that slid right past him? He could have shot that's that, that shot's blocked, right? He took it. Yep. He waited a second and opened things up. You can do that too. Right. Where it's like, if you can open your eyes and see the ice and say, okay, I'm dragging it, you know, on my forehand. I'm trying to come from the right boards to the middle. I'm trying to wind up. I think I got a lane. But on the corner of my eye, I see a guy coming in. You can hang out of the puck for another second just to make sure you get it through. And, again, chaos in front of the net. The yeah. grease pan rolls, um, yeah. you know, from Dave Shyak. You know, sometimes uh, the, a shot that isn't the hardest but just gets through, hashtag Ryan Suter, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes that, you know, that commotion you create, especially in playoff situations, yeah. is the best play. And it's, and it's easy for us to say sitting up in the press box, right? 100%, I mean, very obviously much so. it, it's much quicker, but I got to be honest, you know, if you're Spencer Meyer, there's only two captains in college hockey that brought their team to a national championship game last year. And he was one of them. So there's a lot to be said there, take that confidence and build on it and have one heck of a, of a senior season. So. Absolutely. So let's move to the forward groups. And I, and I think, you know, this is where there are a lot more question marks than we, I think we anticipated, honestly, before mm-hmm. we really started looking at this. Um, for the sake of our conversation, Noah, I want to go with the premise that Easton Brodzinski is ready to play. Okay. Um, and the reason why I say that is from what we know, and granted, we have <laughs> so, to So get, you want me to erase the asterisk here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, from what we know is that he should be ready. The keyword is should, right? Um, from what we, from the last update we heard was medically the, the leg it was healing or healed. Um, he has been skating, that kind of thing. Now, again, this is unconfirmed information, but from the last that we heard is that he should be ready by this season. So let's just assume just to make us not have to go off in three tangents overall, because we easily could with this roster. Uh, but I do think it's curious that when you take out two players' names that were starters, that was uh, Will Hammer uh, moving on to different things and Jared Cocker going to the ECHL, um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, pluck two guys in there and that's it. 
That's yeah. not the case. There's some players here that could move up and down this lineup. And I kind of want to get your thoughts first on yeah. what you think this four group might look like. Yeah. Well, the four group, the question marks that we're talking about uh, is a surplus of wingers and a question mark in the center depth. Um, that's kind of what it goes through. And I, I know we've talked extensively and ESPN talked extensively, extensively about the value that Will Hammer brings to the table when they finally were able to see it on the national stage, but the invaluable pieces that he brings is solidifying as a bottom six center. You know, he wasn't going to be the guy that was going to be your top six or top line centerman. He was the guy that anchored that bottom six, those bottom, you know, trios of forwards, if you will. And you're kind of missing that right now. You're missing that hard and heavy guy. That is that proven guy who's going to slot in there. And will hammer, uh, giving uncredit where credit is to will hammer was not that guy until about a year and a half ago and really kind of came into his own and developed into that role. So it's not to say that there isn't a guy that can step up to the plate and make those, uh, make those adjustments and be that new guy. Uh, right now, I got Easton Brodzinski uh, in the lineup. Uh, if Easton Brodzinski doesn't go, um, I have Kyler Kupka on the wing on the third line. I think he just slides up into that first unit there because um, I want to keep the second line together and then slide Thomas Rocco on and then slide a scratch in there as well. So not really that big of an adjustment. Again, we talked about the clarity of centers right now. Um, it's funny. You and I had kind of gone about, um, you know, where would you put centers? We liked Sam Hench's a little bit more on the wing. And then we looked at Sam Hench's faceoff. Uh, success. Uh, 141 faceoff wins and 110 losses. Uh, pretty good, actually, for a guy who, you know, maybe doesn't play center a whole lot, um, or maybe we thought we should move him to the wing. So um, I've got Kevin Fitzgerald as your leading center. I think he just brings a lot of good veteran presence, a good calmness to his game. He's paired with Easton Brzezinski and Yami Kranola is a guy that I want to put in there. I like that kind of mix of uh, hockey IQ and buzzsaw mentality between Fitzgerald and Kranola. And then you've you got two guys in there that are going to be hard and heavy below the dots, and you're feeding a guy like Easton Brodzinski who has a cannon of the shot from any area of the ice. I think that's a good combination as well, too. Uh, second unit, uh, Nolan Walker in the middle with Zach Okabe and Vieti Mietinen. Kind of a similar style, uh, kind of mixing it up uh, with that balance as well, too. Same thing, Nolan Walker, good cerebral hockey player, likes to get in on the physical forecheck. Zach Okabe, a serious, serious buzzsaw in this group, and then Vieti Mietinen, more of that skill-based kind of third guy high, um, you know, skill Skill guy, if you will. Third, third unit, Sam Henches is going to get the center call on there. I've got him down in the third line right now. Uh, Micah Miller on the right, Kyler Kupka on the left. Uh, and then that fourth group, uh, Joey Molinar, I have him at center right now. I don't know if he's a centerman, um, but I think he's going to be in the lineup somewhere here, at least to start the season. And then Thomas Rocco, and then maybe Mason Solquist, Chase Brand, uh, one of those two guys in there. And then, um, We've got Ryan Rosborough and then uh, Jack Johnston to finish out in the scratches group there as well. Um, Nick, I, I, I just think that bottom six right now leaves a lot of question marks. And because it leaves a lot of question marks, it leaves one or two pieces that maybe have to be moved in the top six. And we could really see a reshuffling um, early on in the season for the first couple of games. Uh, what do you got for us? So a little bit different look, um, yeah. but, you know, and it, and for, for those, uh, I think we should disclose, uh, a half hour before we start recording, we looked at the face-off numbers, right? Because yep. to us, we knew that down the middle was sort of the question mark. I just want to go through a couple of things. Yami Krenola, 115 for wins, 183 losses in the face-off dot. Yep. That's compared to when we talk about Will Hammer's value right now. We talked about throughout the season that he was the trusted face-off man. He was a plus 60 in the face-off dot, 265 to 205 uh, in the face-off dot. Then Nolan Walker, 270 to 229, just a little under 50%. And then 
Fitzgerald, 165 to 124, and Sam Hinch is 141 to 110. Now, this is interesting. I have this a little bit differently, and here's why. So I'm, I'm actually moving Hinch's back to the center position, and here's why. I think that the coaching staff has a decision to make on Sam Hinch's. We all know the skill level is there, but as a fourth-year player, I don't. I think maybe it's it's time to accept he's maybe not going to be the goal scorer that maybe we thought we were going to be, and that's tough. That's tough yeah. for me to say that because I do think he could surprise us all still this season. But he 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 has a good start to season, then he just disappears off the score sheet, and with those faceoff numbers being the way that they are, um, I just I have a really tough time thinking that on the wing he's going to provide that offense. Um, right. And he was a guy that I really was wanting more from, especially in the postseason. I just was. And that, and that's where I guess on, on my end, putting him with Kupka and Miller, that, that could be one of the quickest um, third lines in college hockey. And, you know, that gives him a chance to maybe kind of lead the charge a little bit similar to um, uh, Spencer Meyer on the back end and his pairing and kind of captain his, his third unit there. It, it's true. So, and here's, I've got a little bit different look, but here we go. So I Brozinski on the wing, Nolan Walker, and then I'm putting Joe Molinar up there on the right wing. I don't mind that. And here's why. I think Joe Molinar plays a very similar style to Mikey Miller. He's not in terms of he plays that third guy high. He's that third guy in. Uh, He's not at the downhill type guy, but he also he he fought some space uh, during the playoffs. I thought he actually battled pretty good. Yeah. And I think it gives him a little bit more offensive punch than Mike and Miller has shown. Again, that's the one knock on Mike and Miller. Mind you, there's not many because um, I love the way that Mike and Miller plays. But I feel like the coaching staff was wanting more from Mike and Miller on that top on that top line where he is the first guy in Korea in that contact. But more so, I think what they wanted, I think what he's missing, and we talked about this before the show, Noah, was getting possession of the puck and then creating offensive opportunities for a Walker and for Easton Brodzinski. Yeah, I think that's the part was missing. He's got to produce. He's got to produce. Correct. So yeah. that's why I've slotted Molnar up on top there. Um, this is where it gets difficult for me. Um, I still have Fitzgerald in the middle uh, because again, uh, face-off wise is good. I think he's a good as a center. I have Sam Hench is still on the wing. And then I still kept Chase Brand there. I'm keeping that line together just because I they weren't the most offensively gifted, but I, I really liked the way that Fitzgerald plays defensively. That's another thing knock on Sam Hentges. He can win faceoffs, but he's actually not that great in his own zone in terms of defensive coverage. That's the big knock on him there. So that was like, okay. And for Chase Brand, you could honestly interchange him or there uh, to go there. This is the part that's the big one for me. Um, VT Miatnim. And moving Crandall off center to the wing. And I think you have to put in as a centerman. And this is a guy that we haven't talked about yet. And this is why, I, you know, it's it's hard to say this uh, without actually going crazy. Uh, <laughs> I'm losing the name. My gosh. He's, he's actually a freshman from Ryan Roseboro. Uh, Ryan Roseboro from Ontario. Yeah. Here's why I haven't put there. He's Big six boy. foot three. Big he's boy. six foot three. Yep. The one knock on that line of Crandall, Miettinen, and uh, Okabe was, uh, guess what? Um, that line was small. And there's one thing that Miettinen didn't really show last year. His big knock was not great in the walls, not great in terms of, you know, winning puck battles if it's in a non-skating situation, right? I think you need a big boy between those three, and I do think you need to keep the flying fins together. That, to me, was tough, right? Now, the other part, um, and actually, I lied, not Chase Brand in the second line, Zach Okabe. 
Yeah. Zach Okabe should he, be there with Tensions and Fitzgerald. He, he earned his stripes the second half. Yes, of the year. he did. So I'll tell I, you what, and if he's listening, Zach Okabe, you play the way you did, even in the national championship game, like the buzzsaw player you are. He's going to have points. You're going to have one hell of a year. He's yep. going to have a hell of a year. Um, and then, of course, uh, bottom line, no, you could say bottom, but really, this this is still a very deep hockey team, right? Kyler Kupka. And then the other center that we got as a transfer from RMU for Robin Morris is Aiden Spoassi. Um, again, these guys were commitments in July, right? These are late additions. And to me, I have them both in the center position, Noah, because if they go out and acquire two centers and true yeah. centers, right, that tells me they're looking at the same numbers that we're looking at, which is face-off situations are going to be critical. And I think, again, if you look back at the UMass game and even at times the Mankato game, they were not winning the face-off battle in some parts of those games, especially against UMass. Yeah. Um, that was a big negative for them in and, those games. And I think that's where it's going to be turned. Like I said, I had Molinar in the center position in the fourth unit. He, he, um, Aiden might easily slide in there. And then you've got Molinar that moves to the wing and Mason Solquist, Thomas Rocco is maybe the kind of the odd man out there as well too. Um, so I, yeah, I think like we talked about the question marks going to come down to center depth. Right. And then I have Mike and Miller down there on that fourth line too. Um, now, again, this is not a knock on Mike and Miller because I, I know the fan says, Hey, you're taking from the first line, the fourth line. That's a knock on him. I just think the way that Mike and Miller plays is just better suited on the fourth line. Now here's, I've compared Mike and Miller before we recorded no, to, to uh, a guy that uh, Jake Wallen, right. Who has got some offensive flair to him. Uh, but he's got more of that speed run and gun. I'm going to be physical type style. And you know, God forbid we don't have any major injuries, but he's a guy you can slide up and down the lineup. I think very easily if things yeah. need to change or if you need a different, more physical look, he's a guy that can be very versatile on this lineup. Um, and then again, guys who don't, uh, we don't have a lot of Jack Johnson who saw limited time uh, last season. Uh, again, we talked about Thomas Rocco, Trevor Zins. Uh, you know, these are guys that you've yeah, got. Don't, and, don't, and don't forget Trevor Zins transferred to St. Thomas. So, Excuse me. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking Mason Salkwist. That's who yeah, I was yeah. thinking. Sorry. I, I like, I like how you've, uh, um, you've alluded to Jake Wallen though. Uh, if there's any, uh, a consolation for Micah Miller in that comparison, Jake Wallen had a pretty darn good senior year. So. He did. He did. And you know, he's a guy that can be that spark plug. And I think Micah has that, uh, you know, that, uh, he, he can play the game that way. And I think at times, if maybe the coach that would just kind of maybe let him loose a little bit um, and just they say, Hey, just go and hit like, just maybe simplify it for him to simplify his job. Um, maybe that bodes well for him. Um, either way you look at it here, Noah, um, you know, this lineup is from front to back, no matter what position you're looking at, this lineup could be stacked. Um, and, and again, the biggest question mark we have is down the middle. Um, and again, I've slotted in the two newcomers, who are, t I think one's a freshman, actually. I think I incorrectly say the other one's a junior, I believe, from RMU. Um, if I looked at that correctly, I wanted to say it was a senior. Or was it a senior? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so he's, so he's Aiden, an upper class. Place, he's a senior. It's a senior. So yeah. at the end of it, um, you know, that experience at the division level, I think, puts him as, uh, as a center with his third or fourth line. Um, but again, I think you need a big body between the flying fins and I just can't separate them just yet. I just like their chemistry together. Um, they both can shoot the puck. And so as a third line, oh my God, right. You've got firepower up and down the lineup in the top nine. And even still, if you go down to that fourth line, you still have guys that can skate can shoot the puck and provide an offensive spark. Um, but again, when we go back to Kupka, Will Hammer and Cockrell, some of their best hockey they played was being a shutdown line. Um, against other teams' top uh, and, offensive and, uh, opponents. 
And that's a piece too, where, um, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm kind of more of, I'm a big spread the wealth guy. Um, not yes. to say, not to say you can't go back to, you know, the flying fins, but I also like to see, you know, you might find a combination that might be even better than that. The one reason right. that I have Kupka, Henches and Miller together, think about this. You've got Sam Henches and Micah Miller, two guys who I think it's no secret. They're, they're pretty snake bit. They're pretty starved for some yeah. production, but if you can find those guys, you think about a third line in college hockey, really in all of hockey, but college hockey, especially your main goal is to stay even or better. So if you can have that unit be strong enough defensively, play well enough defensively, but then have the transitional speed to create something, they might be a group that defends for 20 seconds, turns the play the other way in quick, quick transition, creates a couple of opportunities and is buzzing around the offensive zone. Then they're able to change. And the first line comes out for the Huskies able to continue to establish offensive zone time. And then I think, you know, maybe that's where they find their mojo again and find that offensive input. Maybe Sam Hanges and Micah Miller both find that production again. Um, it's no secret. Anytime you're a hockey player, especially when you go to development camps, you're trying to make a team, you're trying to make a roster spot you can be the most god-awful hockey player in the world in terms of your skill, your speed, whatever it is. But if you pot 20 goals during your training camp or you have a hot start to the season where you produce, 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 you force a coach to put you back in that lineup with either stellar offensive play or unbelievable defensive play. And I think maybe that's where if you have those two on the third line, maybe they start to bridge that gap a little bit, find a little bit of defensive structure and reinvigorate the offensive game with lower minutes. Now, if it works, you're, it's absolutely correct. The the cynic in me, because I'm just naturally cynical. Defensive liability. Not just that, yeah. but you talk about trying to find the right chemistry. The thing is, we've we've seen Henches and Mike Miller have multiple different line mates, and at different you know spots within the lineup, right? And just nothing's clicked yet. And so that to me is where it's like, at some point, does it's the called- coach. It's called the Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah. Look it up. Right. I know. <laughs> We're living in one anyway. So, <laughs> uh, But I mean, honestly, though, I mean, I think a coaching staff at some point has to look at it and say, you know, we've tried different pieces. And I've given Chuck Fletcher all the grief in the world where he had the core. He didn't want to change it. And instead of saying this ain't going to work, I got to exchange some core pieces now. Maybe the coaching staff. And, and again, I'm not speaking for the coaches, obviously. But at some point, I would think if I am a coach. Do you just accept the player is who he is? And do you instead try to find what's right for the player and make him the focal point? Instead, you just try to find a role based on what you see consistently that maybe isn't to where you think his ceiling is, but just try to find that consistency where he's given you at least some, you know, an even playing field throughout, you know, the lineup. And that's kind of where, Again, it's it's not a knock on these players, right? This is a very good hockey team. Mm-hmm. And these are great I mean, I think there's a lot of college hockey coaches who love to be talking about these so-called first world problems. If you want to call it, you know, with this hockey yeah. team, these are great problems to have. They are because you could slot hinges in the top on one. You could be a first three, three, same with Zach Okabe, same with Micah Miller. Uh, I would even say uh, for sure, even Kevin Fitzgerald, of VT Miatin could be in that spot, right? You get guys where you can intertwine and, and tweak and you're not really changing you know, I says your outlook from an opponent standpoint is you've got a top nine set that's yeah. going to be incredibly dangerous. And, and, um, and as a player, 
you know, let's say Kevin Fitzgerald starts in the first line and goes down to the third line. That doesn't mean that Kevin is bad at hockey. That might just mean that he has great chemistry with his line mates. When you're, mm-hmm. when you're on a hockey team and not to say that your fourth line is likely to get less minutes than your first line, but if you're on a really good hockey team, first line, second line, third line, doesn't really matter what quote unquote line you are. You don't really almost have lines in a sense. You have players who have chemistry, you have pairings or trios who have chemistry and they're producing. And that's all that you care about. And it becomes instead of, you know, in the minds of them and the coaches will tell us you too. It's not one, two, three, it's one, a one B one C honestly. And that's really what the Huskies Mm -hmm. have here. And really that fourth line, it's, it's really a two, right? I mean, because again, that fourth line was so good down the stretch and if, recreating that might be the other part that we haven't discussed yet. No, is can, you know, can they recreate that shutdown line um, that really can give that top nine rest or buy time, you know, as maybe uh, they're not producing offense or maybe they're just getting forechecked and, you know, they're not getting the puck out of the zone efficiently. You need a line that can go out there and kind of flip the script, right. Where you can really get in and just sort of up muscle and outwork your opponent and really start to try to force the offense the other way. Um, That maybe is something that we should probably take, about a couple of minutes to discuss, right? Yeah. Um, you know, do you really think that we can create that same magic? And again, it, a lot of it was because of Will Hammond in the middle and being so good in the faceoff dot. You could put him in any situation. We saw Brett Larson. We talked about that ad nauseum. But does this roster have the pieces that you can put together for a shutdown fourth line, uh, regardless of their top nine? Can they recreate that this season? Well, I, I'll have an answer for you after the first couple of games of the season. And the reason being that the transfers and the incoming freshmen, like you mentioned, big body, six foot three, can they be that player that maybe is going to be that shutdown group? I think that's going to be the question mark. I think the ability is there. The question mark is, do you create that ultra mega shutdown line, if you will, at the expense of offense in the top six? That's the thing is I, I, I see guys that would fit in well right now as a good shutdown line, but does it also make your offensive producers or your historically more offensively producing lines a little weaker on the top end as well too. So I think that right now you do, but I'm hesitant to say that because again, I'm a spread the wealth guy. Can you maybe find a little bit of balance where you don't have a a, a truly gifted top line or a truly great defensive third line, but you also have good balance throughout your top nine, if you will. And then you have a fourth line that can keep you in a hockey game as well too. I'm really intrigued. Actually, I really liked your um, comment about Joey Molinar. I would love to see Joey Molinar get a crack at a top six um, piece too, by the way. I think also, he's got, he's got yeah. the tools to do it. Yeah, he, does. he does. He just says he hasn't had the experience. Uh, I think is what it comes down to. Like you mentioned one, a one B one C I'm kind of sad. You didn't say one D I guess you're not a one direction fan. I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's whatever. How um, dare you no. call me out to that group, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess, yeah, I, I think it's there. Although it just might not look the same as what we've been accustomed to It's interesting when we look at this roster and it's so hard every year when you have turnover, I think it's easy to have clarity from the team that we had last year and the team that, you know, went so far. And then you look at the new roster and you're like, Ooh, there's some holes to fill. There's this and that these boys might have chemistry going and buzzing right now in practice. They might look just fine coming out uh, in their first game against St. Thomas look good in the excellent energy center ice as well, too. So um, just a lot of question marks. I think on top of that, I want to pause at the same question to you, Nick, and you can answer your own question on top of that as well. Cause I think you have that ability you can handle it um so who's your guy who's your guy in the front end or maybe a pair of guys that you're thinking uh they gotta find they gotta find that gear again they gotta find that next level vt vd does yep. he you know it, it, and and uh when i interviewed jim rich he 
he, he, he described it so eloquently when he was new on the scene and nobody really knew who he was about. Um, he had the free will to have the freedom of space. I don't think people, it's not a respect to, you know, as a, as a true to the word thing, but you know, as a player, you earn your respect by your points, right. And, and his shot, which I think now the league in itself knows who he is. They know his shot. They also know that if you take time and space away from him, he became very invisible. In fact, he was very much a ghost throughout the playoff run in terms of yeah. his production. He had a very difficult time yeah. because they took the physical game to him and he's just not a big guy. At least he wasn't a big guy. So he's a guy, uh, I, you almost want to throw Cranell in there a little bit. Um, I only think that he's in there just because he was on the same line. And I think obviously when somebody that was providing a lot of the shot, Cranell was more of the setup guy. You both kind of, you know, take a hit because of that. So it's not necessarily one player versus the next. I think as a duo, as the flying and thins, they were shut down quite well. So I think both of them are due for a bounce back. Um, I hope Vitti uh, definitely hit the iron and was pumping exactly. some iron this yeah. year. Um, I also think. And, and, and Yami Cranlin did that the year before too, came back bigger and stronger and look how it paid off did. for him. Yeah. And he's a guy that I think, you know, it kind of surprised us a little bit. He can play quite a gritty style too. If he chooses to, I think he's better when he doesn't have to, uh, but he's a guy that can, whereas uh, Mietinen did not show that he could. And I think that's the missing piece uh, for the flying pins that they can, uh, you know, find, you know, some balance between that finesse with the shot, but also be able to provide some grit when needed, especially along the boards and then behind the opposing, uh, the opposing net, which is where VT really struggled, especially down the stretch, um, down that fourth line, you know, it's hard to disagree with you, um, because there is such a, a glaring hole at who's going to be that sort of relied upon center, uh, to take those face-offs and, you know, does Brett Larson look at this roster and say, maybe we don't have that shutdown line that the Islanders have had or maybe what Eric Sinek or Greenway and Felina was for the wildest past season. Maybe he just sees something completely different, but what is important is, and you described it perfectly is the balance. Brett Larson likes to run four lines. And as we saw what made him so successful last year was his ability. You didn't have line one that was running at 22 minutes and line four at maybe nine or 10. And that was much more close to running, you know, as far as ice time. And I think for Brett Larson in college hockey, if you can do that and roll four lines, no matter how it looks or how it operates, that's the key to success is how you can use those fresh legs and just really grind down and just sort of take your game, which is still skill and speed of St. Cloud to your opponent. So, you know, it's going to be tough and we still, we're going to have to wait and see. I agree with you on that. But again, it comes down to just the ability to run four lines and to be able to put any light on any situation as fresh legs and to be able to have confidence that your boys can execute the game plan that's in the um, offensive zone, the neutral zone or the defensive zone. Yeah. As we push an hour and 20 minutes here, I only have one more question and I, and I want to get my thoughts or input, I should say on this too. Um, the, the, it's going to sound kind of heavy here when I first say it, but I've got five guys in the forward group. So I want to slow down. I've got kind of a one A and one B my first here. You've got Sam Henges and Micah Miller. At least one of them has to find a way to have a gear. It doesn't have to be both of them. It'd be amazing if it would be both of them. One of those guys has to find that production again. One of the two of them has to find it. Um, and then my other three, um, Kyler Cooper, Thomas Rocco, and Chase Brand. Um, one, if not two of those three guys, has to make a name for themselves in this lineup this year. Has to find a way to kind of be that guy. I think Kyler Cooper was maybe more that guy. Um, and then maybe Chase Brand at times than Thomas Rocco. But one or two of those or all three of those guys, I think finally have to kind of 
kind of grab the bull by the horns and take the reins and find a way to solidify themselves somewhere in this lineup and make a name that they're going to be a player that can be relied upon in this group. Um, they all have the ability to do it. I think they're guys as well too, that um, again, you talked about the utilitarian approach can be up and down this lineup. One of them's got to find a way to say, you might move me from the first line to the third line to the fourth line, but darn it, I'm going to be in the lineup and I'm going to be a guy that you can trust uh, in any situation with any minutes and maybe produce a little bit for you on top of that. So that's kind of my, my thoughts there as well. Um, my last question for you here, Mr. Maxson, uh, we kind of mentioned some new newcomers that were in addition to the three freshmen that we had. Um, Aiden, um, is it, how do you pronounce it? Is it Spolassi? Blasi, Spalasi. Um, sorry, Aiden. Uh, come on the show. We'll we'll hash it out together. Right. <laughs> uh, um, you've got him, Ryan Roseboro, a freshman as well too, and then of course we've got Mason Salquist, um, Josh Ludetke, and then um, Jack Pierre as well. Yep. Um, with Ryan Roseboro and um, Aiden, um, what the heck is your last name? With with those with those two guys, of course, Aiden's a, a senior transfer from Robert Morris. Those two guys and Aiden and Ryan. A little bit later announcements, not really announcements, uh, kind of in the middle to tail end of the summer. Is there something to be read into with that? Do you think this coaching staff finally kind of realized maybe we need a little bit more help up front? How would you explain that to fans who maybe don't understand that? Maybe it's kind of an interesting little signing period for some guys to jump into one of the best programs in college hockey. Well, one, let's talk about Spalacy first. I think that's what I'm going with his name, but he's a he's a uh, he's a uh, Robert Morris, my dude. His program shut down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as a, as a center depth, and I'm assuming he looked at spots where he wanted to continue his hockey career. Why not jump on the national runner up? Right. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, Robert Morris was the host team for Pittsburgh in the frozen four and probably had a front row seat to watch uh, this Husky squad. And, you know, I think, you know, you can look at it both ways, really. No, you could look at it as does the coaching staff look at this and say, Hey, you know what? Um, let's review the stats. Let's review the analytics and we need some help down the middle. Um, that's possible. Or, Hey, you take a guy that's got experience and mind you, this worked really well for them last year, the transfer portal and Seamus down to you and Jared Cockle. Um, you know, this, these are guys that came in and were immediate benefits and were full season benefits to the squad were full-time roster players. And is it a roll of the dice a little bit, but as a, as a guy that's got three years of college hockey under his belt, um, that's experience and leadership. You just can't take away. Um, so I think Spalacy is a guy that comes in and, you know, maybe, does that say something about some of the other players that are what we call maybe fringe players? Maybe. Um, but you know, as believing Bill Guerin says it is that you want competition. You want guys pushing yeah. each other because you make each other better. So it, to me, you can't look at it as an indictment of other players, but you know, as a guy with a veteran leadership, you want a team that you can put on the ice and say, this is a team I want to go to the national championship again from a coach's standpoint. And then for, uh, from Josh, uh, John Rossenborough or Josh Rossenborough, Ryan, Ryan, right. close enough. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, right? It was it was four letters. I'm sorry. Um, I think I'm thinking of Josh Rosenbaum, and I'm not even sure that's a real person anyway. So I have, I do I have no idea. So, but for a guy that coming out of Ontario, um, he's 21, so he's not a true freshman. He's he's got some major junior, I think, under his belt. There's some uh, uh some Ontario like minor leagues up to him. He's a big kid at six three, but a more so he's a true center, right? Um, it, it, to me that. I think that he's there to try to solidify the fourth line. Honestly, if I look at him, um, it's either that or the third line. It's going to depend on how, you know where he fits. Uh, but again, uh, I do look at it as both that I think the coach staff realized they need to help down the middle, especially in the faceoff dot. Um, because again, with, um, with Hench's 
his face-up numbers are good, but defensively not great. And I think for a guy that you're looking to spark offensively, you're not going to do that in the center role. You have to keep him on the wing, right? Same thing with uh, Cranola. I think Cranola has got great offensive upside, but I think they're trying to get him out of the middle where his face-off dots, we mentioned this earlier, were not great. His numbers were not good. So um, I, I think it is trying to put players also in the best position to succeed, right? I mean, you look at it as it's not an indictment that you play bad at center. We watch you in the wing, but you know, if, if your roster is the best when you can put players in a position that they would do best at. And I think that's the way I would look at it. And anytime you can get a, a veteran presence and also a six foot three center, I mean, you don't say no to that. Uh, but I'm curious just to know what your thoughts were on these late additions. And, you know, as we talked to Brett Larson, it wasn't in May, I think, or was it in June? Um, and again, in July, um, you know, these were uh, these were names that we hadn't heard of that he hadn't spoken yeah. of. Uh, and so maybe it was looking around at his roster and, and, and thinking, hey, it's competition again. You got to earn your spot on this uh, on this head coach's roster. And, you know, again, competition is never a bad thing. I think when you look at Ryan, first of all, uh, if you're an incoming freshman, you're tied for the third biggest forward on this team with Sam Henches. And then you've got uh, you've got Micah Miller and Issa Brzezinski is the only guys that are that are bigger than you in terms of weight. Uh, and you're only a freshman that bodes well for a guy that really could be a solid, solid force uh, down the middle. And we talked about it with Will Hammer a little bit. He didn't come into his own until about a year and a half ago and him kind of being a healthy scratch and learning to elevate his game and be better really made him a better hockey player in the end, I think. So, you know, even if he's a guy that, you know, maybe they give him a shot on the, on the fourth line and maybe doesn't pan out for him, you know, he continues to elevate. Uh, it's not about what Ryan Rosborough does as a freshman. It's about what he does over the course of his um, collegiate career. And does he get better every night, every game, every practice? Um, but that's a big body. And if you can get him up to speed, if his skating looks okay, and he's able to make those plays, I think he's going to be a great addition as well too. Um, and I think if anything, having a little bit of size in this lineup, that isn't that big in terms of size, um, bodes well for this group as well too and uh, that's where UMass really took it to St. Cloud yep. as well as Duluth mm -hmm. in the uh, in the Frozen Four no question yep uh, um, and then Aiden as well too being a senior coming from Robert Morris so a little bit on the smaller side probably a little bit of a more of a speedy forward if you will mm -hmm. um, I can always use a little bit of speed and skill in that lineup and we've seen senior transfers um, and grad transfers for that matter work out very well for the Huskies here in recent years uh, you talk about Seamus Donahue Jared Cockrell guys that have slotted in and why not use that opportunity um, if you're St. Cloud to maybe get a couple of transfers that don't have to sit out or have eligibility things and this and that um, I think it's a smart move by this coaching staff, if anything, to provide a little bit more of that competition, a little bit of depth. But I think uh, both these guys really do have a chance of being in the lineup, especially as I look more and more um, with Aiden's game, uh, a little bit of a water bug that maybe if he finds his way can maybe outmuscle Kyler Kupka, Thomas Rocco, Chase Brand, and maybe kind of be another guy that makes a name for himself on a Husky squad for the first time wearing uh, the Cardinal, Cardinal red and black for the Huskies. Yeah. Um, and again, we won't know until, you know, again, you, you, the first five games of the season, Noah, um, you know, those, those are still kind of a filling out process for any group. And obviously these are important. Well, first, what, eight games um, for non-conference because they're good. They're against good hockey teams. Um, yep. Again, St. Thomas first days, you know, D D one, but again, you can never overlook an opponent. I still think they're going to give the Huskies fits. Uh, Rico Blasi knows this conference incredibly well. So don't think that they're going into this blind. Um, there's going to be, um, 
there's going to be a plan in place to try to stop this Husky squad that whether they can execute it, what does their roster look like? Um, you know, as far as, you know, are they going to, you know, have the, the deer in the headlights mentality, whereas is this going to overwhelm them and they're going to be ready for the challenge. And again, for Trevor Zins, we mentioned uh, that we, he did transfer to UST looking for playing time. You know, is there, there's some motivation there, you know, he's going to try and maybe show the coach that, Hey, I should have had ice time as a Husky. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you get uh, Mankato, you know, those two teams haven't played each other the last six months in big uh, competition. <laughs> right. And then you welcome in Wisconsin, Minnesota again, you, have the, first, yeah. you have Minnesota before Wisconsin. Yeah. And then later on this season, you have a home and home against the Bemidji state Beavers. So again, these non-conference, yeah. um, you know, schedule is not an easy one. And again, yeah. the pairwise is back this year, right? So um, this roster, and I suppose any roster uh, this year is going to have to come together quite quickly. Uh, so, you know, for you have to be able to try to find the best roster nice and quick because you know that you want to start off whether they went eight of 10 or uh, seven of nine in the, uh, in the pod, seven right? Of nine. Seven yeah. of nine. Yeah. Um, that was a huge, uh, you know, momentum just establishing, you know, I guess yourself as a good team and feeling good to yourself coming out of the pod, going into more of that normal schedule. We saw this last uh, winter as well into the spring. Um, you don't have that pod again. You don't have that initial style, but you know what it felt like as a team to have that momentum, to have that feeling good and feeling have like your roster feels good right now. This is going to be an important stretch for this hockey squad. That is, well, as again, September, this is three weeks away. Um, yeah. It starts off quick and it starts off with a bang and you can't, uh, you can't take anything for granted. So for the coaches staff, for the players, um, we've said this before and I'll say it again, uh, getting to the runner up was a fantastic accomplishment and it was a very tough road to climb. It's going to be twice, if not three times as tough to get back to that because now you have expectations. It's a target on your back and you're going to have some changes that, you know, every group, you know, maybe minus the goaltending spot can David Rennick. Hey, we didn't really spend much time talking about him, but if he can pick right up where he left off, this is a very, not that if he didn't, it's a very dangerous hockey team, but I think if Rennick can be at that same level, he was back in April, this, yeah. this team could absolutely see themselves back. Uh, in Boston for a frozen bar, if not again, for another bid for a national championship game. Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about David Rennick because I'm sure someone will talk about him during, during the year. Cause that's right. how that goes. Right. <laughs> that's uh, how it goes. But, yeah. Uh, the pairwise returns, everyone's favorite kind of happy that the non-conference schedule is a non-conference schedule. I think it's weird. Some of the um, NCAC teams are playing exhibition games against each other. That's just weird. Just setting up the bloodbath for the later rounds, if you will. And that's um, great. Honestly, I'm all <laughs> yeah. for it. I'm all yeah. for it. Imagine yeah. having a non-conference game, you know, with uh, like, again, whether it's the Gophers every year, you know, I, I would love to see the home or home state every single year, yeah. honestly. Yeah, no, that, um, no, that's fine. I'm just saying like North Dakota playing Duluth. I'm like, it's weird that it's not like a conference. You know what I mean? Like, right. Honestly, yeah. though, I mean, think about it. Uh, those two, I mean, think of how good of a game that is. I mean, uh, five overtime loss for North Dakota, that is in great for the players are still there. Mind you, they lost a lot, a lot of players to NHL contracts this last season, but for the coaches and for the players are still there. My goodness, you know that that is still, they want revenge. That's a fantastic scheduling uh, by those two squads. Honestly, yeah. to, just to kind of get yourself ramped up for the season. Again, and, every point in every game matters, especially for confidence, just get the team rolling. And you better believe that the hotels are licking their chops after that one, right? No, should, no should question. Go the distance, right? <laughs> should Spe go the distance. Yeah. Speaking of going the distance, uh, we will have Brett Larson on in a couple of weeks here, Nick. Um, yeah. Anything else? I got nothing, man. 
Uh, no, again, as, as we get closer to October, um, you know, this is where the excitement really grows for not only for you and I, but also for the players. Um, this team is going to be exciting. Um, there's a lot of great battles position wise, both, uh, you know, front back and even maybe even net too. We, we still haven't seen this team play. Um, I'm excited to see what St. Thomas can do. Honestly, I think they're going to be a better team than people really give them credit for. Um, and with Rico Blas behind uh, the bench too, with his, just his recruiting, his nose, his conference, I think that team is going to be, uh, you know, as far as in the uh, the CCHA is concerned, they're, I think they're poised to make a statement in that league. Um, and at the end of the day, hockey's back, baby. And yeah. even more so, we get to see it in person, which is even better. Yeah. Um, and we hope that continues and we don't have to, you know, dial it back, as they say, you know, due to the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. Sing- single game tickets uh, still on sale from what I hear. Um, by the way, I don't know if I've ever said this before on the show, but hey, Huskies fans, the season has, hasn't started yet, but I can already anticipate it. Relax. It's fine. <laughs> Relax. And, and go out and go out yes, to, and see yeah. the Huskies. Uh, the, the, we should, we, I can't believe we mentioned this. Uh, no, we did earlier or did we, uh, the <laughs> Sunday game. I don't remember, honestly, I'm, th- I'm dude. I'm, yeah, I'm the not Sunday games at the XL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sunday game that was supposed to be in St. Thomas. And I'm not quite sure. Was it supposed to be a Trier rink? I think originally, um, for that matchup has now been moved to, uh, the XL energy center. So a primetime spot in an NHL arena, um huskies have had some good luck in nhl arenas as a past except for one game which is okay um <laughs> go out there and show your support especially if you're a twin cities based husky fan um i'm gonna try to myself get out there if i can because uh i mean you don't get to play uh, in that type of environment even as a college hockey player very often so go out there support the huskies and again see a, a team that's christening themselves in division one and see a team try to you know cement themselves as a true contender again early in the season as the number two team preseason rank uh, by Bucci Grass, uh, you know, earlier on the season. So go out there and support the Huskies again, October 3rd, five o'clock um, at the Excellent Energy Center. And this was just this early this week, they announced that change for the schedule. So it uh, should be an exciting start to the season, Noah. Um, without further ado, uh, do you have anything else to add before we, uh, we wrap up for this episode? As the kids say, go Huskies, woo, baby. Right. Go Huskies, <laughs> woo, as they oh, yeah. say, right? Yo, we got to get where, that where, win, where, right? Where's Caleb Peabody when you need him? Uh, he's been all over my Twitter feed. That's where he's been. So, uh, but Great that guy. will do it, as they say here for episode number seven, eight. Again, uh, please hit like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. Again, follow us on uh, Twitter at the Warming House Den. Um, there for it for all the greatest content as well as news and notes for Huskies hockey and uh, we'll see you back in the next week here Saturday we're probably going to start to do Saturdays I would say for recording purposes uh, as we go into the season but we'll see you back in the den and again thank you for watching and for listening one timer coming they score And she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.